This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. This is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm so delighted you're here. I started self-work almost five years ago to what I call extend the walls of my practice in order to reach those of you who might already be interested in psychological or emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy to those of you who've just been diagnosed with something and you're looking for some answers or you have a relationship issue that just seems stubborn or Perhaps you're one of those people that would say, I'd never darken the door of a therapist. You got to solve your problems yourself, but you're just curious enough or unhappy enough to listen to a podcast like Self Work. So I'm delighted you're here. You know, another reason why I started this was because I wanted therapy and mental health treatment to be something that was understandable, very approachable, and was talked about without a bunch of jargon. So as I say, I'm really glad you're here. Today on Self Work, we're going to be talking about what have been called daddy issues as Father's Day is upcoming and many children and adult children will be honoring their fathers who were there for them and with whom they enjoyed an emotionally safe and stable relationship. Healthy fathers play a huge role in the development of their children, but many relationships aren't healthy and cause problems anywhere from moderate to severe. Chief among them is sexual abuse, although moms can also sexually abuse, and incest is far more likely to occur than stranger abuse. I also want to cover other dynamics that can cause a father-child relationship to be damaging or to cause issues, even ones that on the surface seem to be great or close. We'll touch on the history of the term, but mostly this episode will cover what early troubles with your parents can cause, how you can identify them in yourself, and as always, what you can do about them. I'll pull from the wisdom of my own therapy clients as they seen for themselves what was wrong and did their best to change it. The SpeakPipe listener question is from a man who was identified with perfectly hidden depression, but now feels overrun by emotions that he's struggling to control. What would you say? Now, I do have to tell you something kind of funny. I saw a patient last week, and she listens to the podcast, and she said, do you really drink that green thing every morning? (laughs) She's talking about Athletic Greens, our newish sponsor, and I said, yes, I do. And then, you know, she said, well, maybe I'll try it then. You know, I so get it. I guess people say they use things in order to just sell them. But I do use it, both me and my, at first, more than reluctant husband. They're sponsoring this episode, and so you'll hear more about their offer later. But for now, sit back and relax, or listen as you're driving or working out, whatever you do, and learn along with me about what's been termed daddy issues, but we're going to move into a more modern explanation of that. Sigmund Freud, considered the father of modern psychotherapy and psychoanalysis, first talked about the importance of fathers when he theorized about what's called the Oedipus or Oedipal complex. And here is its definition, very brief. 
Oedipus complex in psychoanalytic theory is theorized as a desire for sexual involvement with the parent of the opposite sex and a concomitant sense of rivalry with the parent of the same sex, a crucial stage in the normal developmental process. Sigmund Freud introduced the concept in his interpretation of dreams in 1899, so quite a long time ago. The term derives from the Theban hero Oedipus of Greek legend who unknowingly slew his father and married his mother. Its female analog, the Electra complex, is named for another mythological figure who helped slay her mother. Now, all of that sounds quite alarming. Some toddler wandering around having sexual desires toward their mother or father so strong that they take out their baby Legos and craft some kind of weapon with them. But that was Freud. His ideas have been modernized, and actually psychoanalysis is a psychotherapeutic technique that's respected and still used by practitioners. Jung, Carl Jung, J-U-N-G, was a colleague of Freud's, and he devised a whole set of what are called archetypes. I'm not going to go into Jung's theory, but I do have a great link to learn more about it in the show notes. It's really fascinating if you'd like to learn more. For now, let's say archetypes are unconscious, universal forms and ideas that take on meaning within a certain culture, and the father is one of those main psychological archetypes. Think of the continuing battle in Star Wars between the light side and the dark side. Come over to the dark side, Luke. This is classic archetypal reference, which is part of our understanding. Because in the archetypal world, fathers can be a source of wisdom and guidance, but also can be sinister and even maniacal. Darth Vader was the quintessential shadow or dark figure who finally came into the light himself. And of course, Yoda was the much more light father figure. But you'll note that there were other Jedis who were women. That's the modern version. But even Jung and his archetypal system had strong positive and negative figures on the entire gender spectrum, so perhaps he was ahead of his time. But okay, so how today are daddy issues actually defined? One article pointed out, daddy issues aren't about the now grown-up child's problems. The father was the one with the problems, and those problems had a major impact on the child, now grown and trying to have relationships or attach, as the psychological theory goes. And those attachments, those relationships are skewed in an unhealthy direction because of the original damage done. Dictionary.com says, and they're giving us kind of the -the on-the-street version of daddy issues, they say the term is primarily used of women in colloquial speech and writing, both online and off, and mainly in the context of romance, dating, and sex. Its connotation varies by context. When used by women of themselves, daddy issues can be earnest, used by women to explain recurrent behaviors and relationships, or even humorous, used in lighthearted self-deprecation of those issues. When used, however, by men of women, it can be dismissive and even misogynistic, diminishing undesirable traits in women. Dating advice websites for men, for example, may advise a man not to date a girl with daddy issues. In LGBTQ communities, daddy issues can be used in the context of a man in a relationship with an older man. Mommy issues is the maternal equivalent, which is used more evenly across genders. It still carries the negative connotation of daddy issues, and it's used to describe emotionally unavailable men. Its sexual implications, however, are far less pronounced. 
Given the negative connotation of daddy issues, psychologists generally label relationship challenges with fathers as a father complex, among other terms. But let's get down to brass tacks. What are the signs that you might have these daddy issues or a father complex? Let's hear from Athletic Greens first, and then we'll dive into exactly what they look like and, as always, what you can do about them. I'll use people's stories from my own practice to illustrate what they can look like. Here's a message and an offer from Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens came on board SelfWork now a few months ago with an offer for SelfWork listeners to try their product. And because of being a SelfWork listener, you'd receive bonus products as a gift with a subscription. I don't really know how many of you have tried it, but quite a few I can tell. And I'd love to hear from you about how you're feeling. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com because I'd love to share your experience here on SelfWork. So some of you are saying, what is Athletic Greens? It's a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood power is your nutritional essential. It's by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower yourself toward better habits. And it's a lot more pleasant than eating celery, I promise you. I've never liked powdered things, but this one isn't too sweet, but also not too grainy. And I look forward to it in the morning. You're actually just getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis. And you don't have to take multiple supplements, just one thing. I take a scoop a day and know that I'm getting 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, and more. In fact, I just had my annual OBGYN appointment, and his last words to me were, make sure you're getting enough D3, and the supplement you receive as the self-work bonus with a subscription contains both D3 and K2. So I smiled and said, oh, I got that. I hope you'll try it. Both my husband and I love it and have kept it up now for several months because it's making a difference. So here's the link, athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. That's, of course, HTTPS colon slash slash athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. And I'll have that link for you in the show notes. Now is the time I need to make clear that I agree with Dictionary.com's position that daddy issues can be used very pejoratively toward women or really anyone, painting them as weak and needy. And I don't believe I've ever used the term in therapy, ever. (laughs) But it's out there, and so I thought I would at least talk about it. But the way we attach or connect or try to establish safety in a relationship is shaped by how our primary caregivers attached or were attuned to us as infants and young toddlers, no matter what our gender. So I want to use some of my own patient stories to illustrate what the term daddy or even mommy issues can mean. You know what, let's switch and just call them parent issues. There are many such dynamics, but we'll focus on three due to time constraints, abandonment, abuse, and enmeshment. There are many more, the alcoholic or addicted parent, the critical parent, the mentally unstable parent, and I'll have links to some of the episodes where I've already discussed these dynamics, such as borderline parents, in the show notes if you're interested. Actually, some of the episodes on borderline parents are some of the most listened to I have in the whole lineup. But going on, let's talk about abandonment 
and about emotionally unavailable parents. How many painful stories through the years have I heard now about children waiting for one parent to show up? I'll pick you up and we'll spend time together. And the parent never shows up. I just knew he'd come this time. She told me she had made such fun plans for us. And whether it's because of an addiction or remaining emotional battles with the other parent or irresponsibility or immaturity, whatever the cause, the child is left bereft. And of course, blames themselves. If I'd been a better X or Y, smarter or cuter, somehow they believe it's their fault. And you know what? It doesn't take any letters after anyone's name to see and understand the damage this causes. Let's not forget what this dynamic also does to the parent who is there. You can feel resentment that you're not getting a much-needed break, helplessness that you can't protect your child, sadness that your children are now experiencing maybe what you experienced with your ex, that they never showed up for you either. But this kind of emotional or even physical unavailability isn't always in the context of divorce. A parent cannot be available who's standing right next to you, who's sitting by you every night at dinner, who drives you to school. Either they're wrapped up in their own lives because of self-centeredness, or perhaps there's great worry over money or making ends meet, or they simply don't know how to tune in to you or even any child, or ask about how you're feeling. This is an example of something one of my patients said recently. My mom was taking us to camp, and I was really nervous. Now I know that was normal, but all she could do was tell me that was ridiculous, and I should be grateful I was getting to go to camp. I'm going to turn around and go home if you don't stop complaining. Now, I know I wasn't complaining. I was simply scared, but she wasn't available, and I felt ashamed for what was a very normal reaction. Now I know better, but it left scars. What can also happen to children who are abandoned or their parents just are not emotionally available, they can get lost much earlier and be attracted to gangs or cults or anyone who gives them the message, we're here for you, you belong with us. That's a whole other episode and I'm going to write that down because I think that would be fascinating to look into the research about who joins gangs and cults and for what reason. Also, later in life, these dynamics abandonment and emotional unavailability may influence this child's choice of partner, now the adult. He might choose someone else who's unavailable because no warning bells go off, it's familiar. Or quite the opposite, he may choose someone who at first is all about him. He laps that up like honey on a biscuit, but it ends, and he's once more dealing with feelings of its disappearance being about him. Or let's take my patient Catherine. Her father was never there and had been physically abusive when he was. So she overcorrected and became someone who saved everyone else. She became a way that she thought would protect her from ever being left again. But reality was that because she was such a wonderful giver, she attracted wonderful takers who had the guise of being loving and caring at first, but had little to no ability to actually give. And her very low self-esteem from the much earlier damage secretly told her she deserved it. And of course, he turned out to be abusive as well. And there are other scenarios. 
What can be so helpful is to work through those much earlier feelings of abandonment so that you can see more clearly what's influencing your choice. Catherine, by the way, after treatment or during treatment, broke up with that taker and later found someone who also knew how to give. Let's talk for a second about issues that can happen when there's childhood sexual abuse. It's shocking to realize that many children grow up and have no idea that their abuse was abuse. It's simply what happened. There was no safety, no security, no boundaries, nothing that pointed to the abuse as being harmful, and it did great damage. Being sexually abused as a child can appear as an adult as medical issues like IBS or other gastrointestinal issues, sexual problems, panic and anxiety, self-hatred and self-harm, emotional what's called dysregulation, meaning your emotions are all over the place. You struggle to not be controlled by them. You might have a heightened startle response and great difficulty trusting others. So, just as in abandonment, there are a myriad of patterns that can emerge. But the ones I've mostly seen in the sexual realm are either the tendency to use sexuality to attract others and then take a very submissive approach to sex where you slip back in almost a dissociative way to treating your body like an object, like it was treated before like an object. Or you put up with your body being treated that way or you being treated that way. It can also mean that you are highly sexual and you control what happens sexually. So instead of being submissive, you take a very dominant position. Then, of course, you can have trauma-based reactions where you truly dissociate during sex, even the thought of sex. And that dissociation can sometimes just happen randomly. Or you can be very traumatized by even the thought of a sexual encounter. These issues are very serious, and a therapist needs to ask about your sexual life if you're in therapy, and sadly, not all do. If they don't, go to another therapist. The work involves naming the trauma for what it was. Abuse was abuse. Working through the intense emotions that those memories can bring with them, and you need to do that with someone trained in trauma work. And developing a healthier relationship with your sexuality your body, and your very self. Let's move on to a third dynamic, enmeshment. And I'll first tell a story about a man I saw. Let's call him Chuck. Chuck was a wonderful golfer and had been the winner in many tournaments in his lifetime. When I met him, he was in his late 30s. He'd never married, but had been in several relationships. And he was working in a job he disliked, always dreaming of being a professional golf instructor. But he couldn't make the leap, although he had earned all of his certifications. I began to help him see why. It turned out that he and his dad were best friends, quote-unquote. But his dad, in Chuck's early years, had also been the one who was his golf coach. And every mistake, every swing that wasn't perfect, was criticized and analyzed. To this day, his dad would say things like, Chuck's a great guy, I'm so proud of who he's become. But you know, he could have been on the pro tour and kind of shake his head. Chuck didn't make a decision without asking his dad first, and they ate out together almost every day. He truly loved his dad. His mom had died when he was young, and his dad had been his anchor. One day, when Chuck couldn't seem to figure out why he was so stuck, I said, Do you realize that you're married to your dad? He looked at me astonished. But then he looked down and said, 
but I owe him that. He's always been there for me. After a couple of months of work, Chuck talked to his dad and took a job as a golf pro. He left the area, and interestingly enough, with his dad's blessing. I later learned he found a relationship as well, and he finally grew into his own potential. That's what we term enmeshment, and it can look like a great relationship. But there are very few boundaries that are appropriate, and the tentacles of enmeshment can be powerful. And even though Chuck's dad was supportive of him leaving, certainly not all enmeshed parents are. Their need for you overpowers their understanding that you need to be your own person. So as we said at the beginning, these are only a few of the dynamics that can happen when you have parents, mother or father, that are not there for you like they should be. They do not offer you safety. The boundaries aren't clear. Perhaps you've been brought into their world in a sexual way, in an emotional way that's simply not appropriate. And it becomes so much harder for you to be able to see who you need to be and want to be in your own adult life. And if this is you, I hope this episode has been helpful. The SpeakPike message this week comes from a man who identifies with perfectly hidden depression, but now feels swamped by feelings, almost as if he'd opened floodgates that had long been tightly shut, and now he does not know what to do or how to turn them down or off. So I recently found your podcast on Perfectly Hidden Depression, and I felt like it suited me pretty well, always hiding my emotions, and it it honestly made me very depressed, and I always felt very lonely, and it actually ruined a relationship of mine. Uh, And recently, that has taken a different turn. Uh, There was something clicked, and now I can't stop feeling emotion. So my question for you is, how do we get past the transition from perfectly hidden to depression to blatantly open, can't stop feeling emotion depression? Uh, Because that's kind of starting to impact me in a negative way where I can't function, can't think straight. Um, And generally, I'm just having very negative thoughts, not necessarily in a harmful way, but in a relationship generic way making it very difficult to get back on track uh, into a, a method of growth so that way it can move forward and, and maybe one day salvage the relationship that was lost. So this seems to be his question. How do we get past the transition between perfectly hidden depression and the can't-stop-feeling-emotion depression? And maybe he wants me to help him salvage the relationship that he lost as well. First, I'm not sure if this man is reading the book or not. In it, it advises people to go very slowly when opening yourself up, and if you get overwhelmed, to ask for help. My guess would be that whatever caused him to develop the adaptation he did to hide his emotions, maybe that was because he was male and learned that men just don't do emotions, at least painful ones, or for some other reason, such as abuse or neglect. But whatever It was his attachment style may have been more avoidant, meaning he was very careful and very distrustful of relationships. And what he's describing is that when the lid busted off of those emotions, perhaps because of this relationship, he's revealed deep wounds that he's struggling to manage. 
You know, I respect the hell out of his doing that. But also would point out that he's simultaneously trying to handle the end of a relationship that it sounds like wasn't his choice to end. And then this whole other layer about these emotions that have been waiting for him for years. It also sounds as if there's some kind of regret or guilt that he now sees that not being able to express himself fully in an emotional realm had a lot to do with the failure of that partnership. So I'd advise a couple of things. First, invest a couple of sessions or more with a therapist so you can get perspective on what's happening. It may be that you had no idea the breadth of emotional damage you'd held back, and having that normalized and supported will help you feel less alone and more normal. If you feel at all in danger, then let someone in your family know and get help immediately. If you'll let me know your snail mail address, I'll send you a book if that would be helpful. Just email me with that info, and it's yours at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. Until then, I'd suggest that you begin writing down what you're feeling. There's something about writing that helps you move forward and not continue obsessing over the same things, so you gain more of a sense of control. See if you can group your feelings together. I imagine each one is related to the others, and understanding those relationships or memories that are tied into those emotions can help you organize them and not feel so overwhelmed. Like, instead of this flood of emotions coming out at you, if you can see, well, really, they're divided into streams, and I just need to understand which streams are which. Another idea is to find a friend that is trusted that you can talk this out with, as long as that someone allows you to be in those feelings, someone you sense knows how to hold a safe space. Please don't try to handle this all by yourself. That's the problem in the first place. And third, remember, it's by far easier to pull out an old skill and to zip back up as tightly as you can. It sounds like that what's preventing that is the realization of how that habit had something to do with the loss of the relationship. So, if this relationship truly is over, and it may not be, then it's shown you something extremely important, extremely vital for your own well-being. If you want her to know what's going on, I might suggest writing her and thanking her for that, and then telling her you hope she'll give you some time to make changes. Of course, I don't know all the ins and outs of that relationship, so that might not be appropriate, but it does come to mind. Again, I'm so glad you've written, and I reiterate, I will send you a book if you think it would be helpful to you to work on this. Just send me your snail mail address, because... That flood needs to be turned into very manageable streams, and it can be. You have to attach your mind to what you're feeling and begin to try to analyze it, not overanalyze it, but begin to let your mind help your heart deal with these memories and emotions that have been there forever. And again, I highly respect the work. Thank you so much for being here today for the 237th episode of Self Work. I'm very, very honored. Thanks to those of you who've read Perfectly Hidden Depression and have left a rating or review on Amazon. Please, if you have done so, it takes two seconds to leave a rating, a little more time to leave a review, but that's very, very helpful to those who see that people are still reading it, so the reviews are actually more recent. 
and gives people some clues about what other people have found in the book that was helpful. So I'd very much appreciate a rating or a review on Amazon for Perfectly Hidden Depression. Also, of course, wherever you're listening to the Self Work Podcast, wow, it is great to read your comments and written reviews about the podcast. I have to recall, though, that so many of you say you stumbled upon it, and gosh, I spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to promote self-work, so I guess stumbling is just fine. Um, if you've stumbled here, that's great. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Whether you walked very deliberately here or you stumbled here, please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com with your comments with your issues, and you can use the SpeakPipe link that's on my website in the show notes, wherever it'll say record message for podcast, and just leave one for me. It really helps me to hear the intonation of your voice, and I learn so much more when your messages to me are verbal. And of course, if you don't want me to use it, that's fine. Maybe I'll cover your question in another way. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe there. That way you'll get a weekly newsletter that has this podcast as well as a weekly blog post. It's a really easy way of keeping in touch with me. I'll also have announcements about things I've recorded or done, like the course I did on depression that's at Himalaya.com slash depression. And their offer is to give you a two-week free period to try out their product. You can listen to any topic on Himalaya for that period of time. But if you want to hear my presentation on depression, it's called Facing Depression. All you have to do is go to Himalaya.com slash depression, and there it will be. Thank you again very much for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.